Let me ask you something. What if there was someone out there who kept a log of every single thing you did every minute of the day? That would probably creep you out. Well, that's exactly what happens every time you go online. Your internet provider stores logs of every website you've ever visited and can legally sell this data to anyone. Worse yet, the government can obtain your data via bulk FISA order, even if you're not personally suspected of any crime. That's why I use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your internet provider can't see or log what you do online. Visit expressvpn.com slash mullen right now and find out how you can get three months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash mullen. Protect your data and get three months for free today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen talks freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today is Friday, December 2nd, and there's all kinds of things going on. I was going to make this kind of a potpourri episode and talk about the Fed, the jobs report, whether the Fed's really tightening or not, Kanye West or Yee or Ye or whoever he is these days, and, and that whole kerfluffle and Twitter but I thought that I would break them up instead because I have an idea about bringing an economist on next week to talk about the Fed. So I'll leave that till then, even though the breaking news is the jobs report. I'll just say that the jobs report came out at 263,000 new jobs created. And again, the, the jobs report's kind of short-term historical fiction based on a phone survey that the Bureau of Labor Statistics does, and then a whole bunch of kind of modeling assumptions that that they and and the Federal Reserve do. I think that actually they do actually, and then the Federal Reserve looks at that number to help guide their policy. So you know, I've always it's based on a lot of assumptions. Nobody should think that this is like an accurate count of new jobs. It's it's fuzzy, but to the extent that they keep keep using the same smoke and mirrors to come up with it and don't change them as they have with inflation so many times, then it might have some value. And I also wonder whether in this day and age where, you know, things that we used to reasonably count on as being objective or that people were making a good faith effort at least to make objective that we no longer can. And of course, I'm thinking about the whole COVID fiasco and the fact that we can't even trust the data of the studies that still, even if it's manipulated, don't support their arguments. So is the jobs report more politicized than it used to be? On one hand, you could make a strong argument, yes. On the other hand, I do have some experience with bureaucracies especially having been in the health insurance industry for over a decade in the 1990s and early 2000s. And I can tell you that, you know, when all kinds of contentious political things are happening, the the people that work in the bureaucracies kind of just muddle along, pounding away in a vacuum, punching the clock, 
you know, and doing what they've always done, even when they're when they're told to do something else, like during the Trump administration, you know, some of that was political and some of it was just, you know, the bureaucracy is so entrenched that they're never going to do things differently until somebody goes in there and fires somebody, which is never going to happen. So in any case, I don't know. I'm just going to assume that the um, jobs number is still arrived at by the same pseudoscientific methods that it was five years ago or 10 years ago. We're still in an era where that number is relatively high because we still are, are just... I mean, we've made up all the jobs that we lost in March and April of 2020. So we're back to even, and then we've added a few hundred thousand since then. But don't forget the population has grown that instead of losing 20 million jobs and taking two years to get them back, like 5 million additional jobs should have been created just to keep up with population growth. And that's based on the average of the five years before 2020, where the average, if you take, you know, all of those 60 months was about 193,000 jobs per month. We didn't create those extra jobs. We're just making up the ones that we lost. So uh, we've got a long way to go. We're still way behind on the number of jobs for the population. Yet, we have all these jobs that no one wants to fill. And I think I'll do a separate podcast on that subject. Let me write that down. Job openings versus uh, jobs not created. Okay. So that'll be something I'll talk about separately. Oh, here we go. We're already, let's see, five minutes in. And I guess I did talk about more than just this fading (laughs) mentally ill rapper that everybody is just going crazy about. Let me say this. I don't know if he's just crazy. I know he may have a lot of crazy ideas. This is going to raise his profile and attention on him quite dramatically, or I should say it has. And from the no publicity is bad publicity school, then this is you know another masterful job by a guy who became a billionaire in the pop music world. So is he crazy like a fox, just playing crazy? Is he both? I don't know. But I think Kanye West in this latest thing with anti-Semitism, and I guess I didn't even watch the interview, but I guess he he said, and I only saw an out-of-context clip, that something to the effect of, well, everybody had some good things to say, and even Hitler, (laughs) okay? So obviously... The crazy like a fox argument says, hey, he wanted to be taken out of context. He wants that clip to go viral because everywhere you look, that's all you see is is him. But regardless of what you think of Kanye and how sincere he is about this latest crusade against Jewish people, or at least I won't even say that. I think he's saying that there's a lot of Jewish people in powerful powerful positions in his industry, which I'll just say is entertainment. And he feels that they have not treated him fairly. That's about the, the most charitable way that you could put his recent thoughts. But I also got a chance to see Jason Rink's 
documentary, the, the most canceled man in America. And that one focused on Nick Fuentes, who has similar ideas, I would say. And I think if you dig down, and I don't know, I, the only thing I've ever seen about Nick Fuentes is a few clips on social media and what Jason showed us in his documentary. And mainly what Jason concentrated on was about a 45-minute film, very well done, like everything he does, is in the, the first you it was all about just what the government did to this guy and about how they've seized half a million dollars from him without any due process at all without ever even suspecting him of a crime much less having charged him with one or convicted him of one so that was the first half of the film and i encourage everyone to watch it and then the second half was kind of about the movement but honestly i didn't get a a good idea about the, their their views comprehensively I, I heard about what you know they were called by other people and a lot of the second half of that documentary was just them making the case that they have a big following and that they shouldn't be ignored regardless of whether you ha- happen to agree with their opinions now there was some indication there that this was kind of a Christian nationalist. Fuente's appearance, brief as it was, on Tim Pool, I think that's where I saw him saying something similar. No, I think actually that was a, a social media clip, and I don't know what it comes from, but him saying we should have Christian this and Christian that and whatever. So I, I think the comments I wanted to make about all of this is that, first of all, we've got a lot of just publicity seeking by these people and i'm not saying they don't believe some of the things they're saying and maybe they believe them very firmly but i think the order of priority is let me say something shocking and that'll get me going around and get me a platform and first of all just more traffic and more commerce into the effect that people make money or raise funds for their movements off this this is very good and they don't care where they get the funds from. And I don't care where they get the funds from. But, of course, you know, the establishment, not just the left, but especially the left, but the establishment Republicans as well are just going to have a hissy fit about this. This is how it started in the 1930s. And that that's where I wanted to blow the whistle. And, and Dave Smith's been doing a great job of this on Twitter. And if you don't know who Dave Smith is, he's probably the most famous libertarian right now that Ron Paul retired from politics, although Ron Paul's still going strong and still as much a North Star as ever on on some of these issues. But Dave, who happens to be Jewish, has been saying, look, you know, you can condemn these ridiculous things that Kanye is saying, but this is not going to instigate violence against Jews. Let's take a short break for this important message. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low-quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about Minicoders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. 
Mini coders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out Mini Coders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Minicoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Minicoders and start your free trial today. I guess what I want to say about that is, yeah, and it's 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 not going to, you know, inspire a new Holocaust either. And the reflexive thing, you know, the never forget, we have to make sure this never happens again. And, and the idea that it's naive to say it can't happen here. No, it's not naive to say it can't happen because it can't happen here. Now, I'm not saying that there's no anti-Semitism. I think there is and there always will be. And there will always be racism because that's what anti-Semitism is. It's racism against one particular group, you know, excluding the fact that the, that being Jewish is both being a person of Jewish ethnic origin and then a person who follows the Jewish faith. And you could be one or the other or both. Most people, most Jews are both, I assume. In fact, Dave, I don't think Dave is Jewish anymore. I think he's now Christian, if I'm not mistaken. So he's of Jewish ethnicity, but he, I think he converted to Catholicism or some Christian faith. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure he did. But being as that it may, you have to remember that the Holocaust occurred at a time where it wasn't politically incorrect to be anti-Semitic or to be what we would now call racist, to think that you could judge people generally by their race, that uh, all Italians are mafioso and all Irish are drunks. I mean, that one happens to be true, but all uh, Jewish people are stingy or whatever. Th- these were not ideas that were that were politically incorrect. And, and, and believe me, anti-Semitism was by no means confined to Germany. It was worldwide, as was anti-Italian, especially here in America where so many Italians came. And then when they first got here, they were considered very different from other Americans. And the same with the Irish and, and the Germans had been here much longer than the early 20th century. But the reason that the Holocaust could happen in Germany are twofold, and they're both caused. One was external governments persecuting Germany so severely for World War I. And we can get into that whole history of, you know, World War I being pretty much a stalemate that Woodrow Wilson broke by intervening and taking the United States into World War I. And at least he did get a declaration of war from Congress, which made it constitutional. So constitutional is not necessarily good. You know, like all of the declarations of war, it was Washington, D.C. provoking the heck out of the opponent until they did something and then using that as a pretext for war. This is goes back to the 
Mexican-American War, the Spanish-American War, World War One, World War Two. It's always the same. Lincoln did the same thing with the South, by the way, at Fort Sumter. Not quite the same circumstances for the War of 1812, so maybe we can have an episode on that someday about whether that was a justified war. I say no. But you had this tremendous persecution of the German people by the triumphant allied countries with these these heavy economic sanctions and then they reacted to that to that badly by electing socialists for the Weimar Republic and it it made for conditions where people were pushed so hard and under such severely bad circumstances that they were a lot more open to this idea but the other cause of you know what happened to the Jews in Germany was unrestrained government. I mean if if there was something that distinguished uh, the Nazi regime and again Hitler was over the top with this Jewish thing. so I'm not going to compare uh, let's say uh, Hitler's anti-Semitism, which was this you know pillar of his whole world view, with that of Franklin Roosevelt. But they were both fascists. And Roosevelt just wasn't as bad. And Roosevelt was certainly anti-Semitic. I mean, he wouldn't let any of the Jews come to America when people were were begging him, you know, to work with Congress to up the quota. I think the quota per year was something like 12,000 Jews. They used to have quotas for each ethnicity. And while this horrible thing was going on, even before people knew they were loading them into camps and killing mass numbers of them, you know, they knew that you know, the Crystal Night and, and all that had happened. They knew they were sanctioning them. I think they did know that they were taking them to concentration camps, even though they might not have known what they were doing there at those camps. But, of course, it was hard to throw stones from the United States once the war started and, you know, <laughs> the sainted FDR started doing the same thing, not to the Jews, but to another ethnic group in the United States. But uh, you're not supposed to talk about that. But, I mean, what we had in the United States and in most other Western countries was restraints on the power of the government, the Germans specifically took away those restraints with the enabling acts and and other even just kind of looking the other way at what restraints were there in the German government and and you have to remember that that the German authoritarian regime was long in the making and I'm not talking about just persecuting one group of people but generally the modern Leviathan originated in in Bismarck's Prussian Empire. So, and, you know, the whole education system as we know it today has its roots there. So you had the combination of a persecuted population, and I mean the Germans as a whole, by the rest of the world, or at least the rest of Europe. And then you have this, what little restraint on the government there was removed. And that's where you get the conditions for. Holocaust. Now, I can say firsthand because I spent a lot of time in Germany in the 2000s when I was in the hearing aid industry and importing hearing aids from a manufacturer there. There's no way that there's going to be another Holocaust in Germany. 
that that's the least of all places. I remember that when Germany was doing better than usual in the World Cup, I was actually there when they played in the World Cup. I spent the 4th of July in Germany. I think this was the same year that um, Germany almost went to the finals. I think they made it to the semifinals, and that was very good for them. And everybody was, well, I had a German flag on my face, you know, rooting for Germany because all, all my friends in the industry were there. So uh, they didn't win, by the way. <clears throat> but I remember talking to one of my German friends, and she said that, that she was so happy that this has uh, allowed Germans to be proud of being German again. And, you know, I was kind of not a political person back then as as much as I am now. And it was just kind of like, I didn't know where that was coming from. Well, what do you mean? Why aren't they proud of being Germans? Naively. And she started talking about the Holocaust. And I said, the Holocaust? You know, to me at the time, uh, that was, look, this is your grandparents. This has nothing to do with you. Uh, Nothing to do with the Germans living in Germany now, who are, by the way, like the friendliest people I've ever met. But that's very much still imbued among the people. And, of course, there's a lot of government propaganda that makes them feel this way, much like American Caucasians are told to feel guilty about slavery. The Germans, it's very much the same thing there with the Germans and the Holocaust. But, And I liken this also to the, the Jim Crow era in the United States. People think, oh, you know, if... If they were to repeal the Civil Rights Act, you know, immediately, you know, whites only signs would go up at restaurants or what. That's just nutty thinking that is so divorced from reality. And and anyone who spent any time in the American Southeast any time during this century will tell you that that's the last place that something like that would ever. And and by the way, again, I I should say just as anti-Semitism was not confined to the, Germany in the early 20th century or, or now or at any other time in history. Certainly, racism against African-Americans was not confined to the American Southeast. They had those institutions there for historical reasons that are too long to get into now. And believe me, virtue signaling northern conquistadors and carpetbaggers had a lot to do with the growth of Jim Crow laws, which were kind of a reaction, but of course rooted in racism. But I don't see that there's ever a chance that anything like that could happen again, not because the government will never repeal their dumb regulations, because those are not what caused the the change in attitude among people. Everyone thinks it's like, well, everyone was racist, then the government passed this law, and then nobody was racist anymore. So Rather, it was that societal attitudes changed. And I want to talk a little bit about why that happened in America in a second. And the government was forced at some point to do something about what the people had decided long ago. So I think that rather than, you know, people using the democratic system to change societal attitudes... It was more like societal attitudes changed. And what changed them? Well, commerce, 
capitalism, the opportunities for people to trade with each other. Let's remember what Jim Crow laws were. They were the government saying you're not allowed to do business with black or white people, depending on what color you were, in your establishment, even if you want to. Now, why would there be a necessity for Jim Crow laws? Because people wanted to integrate their lunchrooms or their restaurants or their hotels and or were already doing it. I mean, the most likely explanation was that here and there people were doing it and this raged outrage with their First of all, with their competitors, I mean, this is how this works, is you have hotels that generally, because of the social mores, generally have just white people in them, for example, and the black people have their hotels. And then someone says, well, I need business. I'm going to sell some rooms to whomever <laughs> has $3 a night to uh, to put my cash register. And then, the comp- you know, and then, of course, this does well. And then the competitors say, oh, my God, this is a moral outrage to have the, the races mixing together. And then they use that to get ordinances passed locally, eventually at state levels in some cases. Uh, this is the way the world really works. And anyone who's been in small business knows this. When I was in the hearing aid business, and we didn't, of course, have anything like this to deal with, but all the complaints that ever occurred for our retail hearing aid stores were from competitors. Like no customer ever complained. We generally provided great service and good products. And the few complaints that were made about us were made by competitors over some regulation. And one we might have violated one of our newspaper ads or something. This is the way the world really works. And the fact that African-American music became so popular African-American culture, culinary and otherwise, and uh, and the sports world where African-American players broke the color barrier because they were good. And, you know, white team owners said, I want that guy playing for me. Now, I'm not going to impugn the motives of these people, and there may have been complex motives for this, but Let's be realistic here. The invisible hand was the strongest motive for bringing Jackie Wilson into baseball, for Joe Lewis generally being admired and loved as heavyweight champion in the world, a great anti-Roosevelt Republican, by the way, later plundered by the government over income taxes shamelessly after he donated all kinds of time and money to the war effort and everything else. Another subject for another day. But you had capitalists and the market in general having demand for the services of highly talented African Americans long before, decades before, anybody ever thought to pass any laws that that discouraged racism. So this is the way the world really works. And this is why I know that Nye's comments, however repugnant, are, are not going to are not part of a trend where we're going to have some kind of fascist regime and concentration camps. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you're enjoying the content here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can support my efforts here a couple of ways at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. 
You can join my Patreon for as little as $3 per month and get machine transcripts to every episode and access to my members-only MeWe group, while all access patrons also get my paid subscriber-only articles and videos, or you can become a VIP patron to get all of that plus access to all of my online courses and a signed copy of the Tom Mullen book of your choice. Now, if you prefer Substack, I also post my paid subscriber-only content there. Find links to all the ways you can support the show at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. Become a supporter of Tom Mullen Talks Freedom today. And now let's get back to our episode. How could I think of Baba with a girl like you? A girl like you. With a girl like you. A girl like you. With a girl like you. I mean, they call libertarians tinfoil hat nutters. This is way more nutty to think that the guys with the tiki torches in Charlottesville a few years back or or Kanye or Nick Fuentes or any of these attention seekers, which is what they are, are at all representative of any kind of significant portion of the American population or even of the American right wing. And I got plenty of problems with the right wing, but this is the one that's actually not true. So if you want to call the the MAGA movement decapitalist, well, you got it. It is. And if you want to call it in some ways authoritarian, in other ways anti-authoritarian, I think those are both true. I mean, any movement that's cheering when a, a certain presidential candidate says, let's give the death penalty to drug dealers, is has an authoritarian streak. <laughs> Do I need to make an argument for that? But also uh, in other ways, especially in ways where it directly affects them, they're anti-authoritarian, but they're not racist. I mean, this is one thing I will defend the American right on. The American right puts a high value on culture, and I've done a whole book on why that is, and I've done many podcasts on why that is, and their beliefs about human nature. So they insist that people adhere to what they believe is American culture, but they don't care about race. And I, I think like during the Tea Party movement, the figure that emerged as probably the most prominent member of the Tea Party movement was Alan West, who just happened to be black. But what was he? He's ex-military. He's pro-law enforcement. He's pro-American culture. He's pro-conservative culture, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So nobody, I mean, he he was had a huge following and, uh, you know, generally I think was representative of the Tea Party movement. They don't care about race. They care about culture. So to get back to Kanye, I hope that he doesn't go spiraling out of control and, you know, just never snaps out of this fixation that he's on right now with the Jewish people. And I'm, I'm reminded of uh, Chris Cantwell, whose writing I used to just really admire. He was such a great writer, a good thinker. I liked his podcasts. And then all of a sudden he got on this 
thing with, I can't remember the Jewish thing was part of his, they call it, you know, he became the crying Nazi. Well, at one time he was just a fantastic libertarian blogger. I was jealous of him because he was so good. And then he, he kind of went down this road. And I think it's something that you can get lost in if you're having other problems and you need somebody to blame. I mean, that's the story of the Holocaust, really. So I hope that Kanye snaps out of it. I am worried not even a little tiny bit that he or Nick Fuentes or any other high-profile, relatively high-profile, I mean, you know, you, you go out in the real world, and first of all, nobody I know has a Twitter account. I'm the only one of the people I interact with, as in shake their hand, none of them have a Twitter account. Most Americans do not have a Twitter account, okay? I've said this before. There are 70 million U.S. users on Twitter. So if everybody from that voted for Donald Trump opened up a Truth Social account, Truth Social would be bigger in U.S. accounts than Twitter. Okay, so no, we don't need the government to come in and regulate. Uh, we just need people to stop whining like little babies and just go do that. It's free. It takes one minute. And people, oh, yeah, well, that's not realistic. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a lot more realistic than going and voting, trying to elect a bunch of people who are somehow going to solve the problem of of censorship on private property for you with some stupid list of regulations. Oh, we haven't tried that before, have uh, I mean, really. So, no, there is no movement, fascist movement in America. Uh, I would argue there's a much stronger communist movement, but I think most people aren't even communists. They're they're vaguely socialist, some of which don't know what that means and some of which uh, do. And depending on how broad your definition is, I would say a majority of Americans are socialist. And that's a problem. But we're not going to see concentration camps. And, uh, you know, if if we were ever going to go to a place like that, anyone connected to reality would say that the racial group that the most it's most normalized to criticize just based on their race is Caucasians right now. And I don't want to oversell that whole kind of dumb trend and talking about people's whiteness and and all this chest beating. But if it were going to go somewhere, that's where it's leaning right now. But what you would need is remove even more of the restraints on government that have already been removed. And Far too many have been removed, but in 1930s Germany, they were virtually all removed. And the Holocaust, if nothing else, was a testament, as was the Soviet Union, to the dangers and the real danger, not dreamed up fake danger, the real danger of unrestrained government. So again, next week, I'm going to talk about the the Fed and a few of the other things I mentioned. This will wrap it up for today. I just want to remind everybody that by popular demand in recognition of the season, my book, Anti-State Christmas, is available for download for free. So you can download a free copy by going to antistatechristmas.com. And of course, you can get my book on the Fed, It's the Fed Stupid, by going to itsthefedstupid.com. 
And don't forget to visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support to find find out about all the ways you can support the show. And as always, if you've enjoyed the music you've heard here, you can hear more at TomMullenSings.com. Thanks for listening, and everybody have a great weekend. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.